We do hobbies because it's something we enjoy. Like for instance, this morning, I got to pick fresh strawberries out of my garden and bring them in and I got to eat one before my kids ate all of them. But I love gardening. Gardening is probably one of my biggest hobbies. I don't sell any of my produce, anything that I can or make, though if you're a friend of mine, you know, you might get some salsa around Christmas, and it's a nice little reminder of how fresh and nice our garden's uh, food tasted. But when we think about hobbies and pursuing these extracurricular activities, how often do those hobbies push us out of our comfort zones? Perhaps we could say, you know, just by learning something new. But often, you know, we're pursuing these hobbies because they're fun and they're rewarding. I think that night photography is a bit different because there can be this inherent fear to the act of going out at night. How many genres of photography do you have to overcome an evolutionary fear just to partake in them? Look, I haven't counted, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's not that many. On today's episode, I pull back the curtain on why we are scared at night and what we can do about it to keep moving forward. Because suffice to say, the fear of night is something we have to conquer, or at least learn to live with, when we decide to do Milky Way photography. Hi, I'm Christine Riche, an artist and mentor to photographers around the world. Consider me your interstellar guide on the path to being a better nightscape photographer. In this podcast, we will bring together our artistic right brain and technical left brain by exploring creativity, art, and inspiration in photography, as well as diving into technique, gear, and strategy necessary to elevate your craft and photographic practice. I am so happy to be a part of your Milky Way journey. This is the After Dark Photography Podcast. Well, hello there. I'm happy to have you here. It's a beautiful day here in Nova Scotia. It is the middle of August, and this is a funny time of the year when people in Nova Scotia are complaining because it's hot, but also saying, where in the heck did the summer go? So we are ramping up for back to school, back to our normal, if it can be called that, our normal routine that we have in the house with the kids. And I'm also ramping up to do my free Milky Way training called Your First Milky Way Photo. I do this a couple times a year, and this training is the last time I can do it this year before we start to lose the Milky Way. So if you are interested at all in signing up and getting into this training, I would love to have you there. If you go to the show notes for this episode on afterdarkphotographypodcast.com, you will see the link to sign up and it would be so wonderful to have you in the training, the last one of the year. And I can tell you I'm doing something different and really exciting this time around. You see, I just 
am coming off of doing an in-person workshop, which was the first one that I've been able to do since 2019 when I was pregnant. Have I told you that yet? I was very excited to be able to be doing stuff on my home turf again. And it got me to thinking, it's such an awesome experience. And not everyone can do it. Like, can you drop everything and just come out to Nova Scotia for a week with me? Probably not, unfortunately. But I want to bring that experience of a workshop to you where you are now. And it may be a little bit crazy, but I'm still doing it. I am going to, for this training, for this Your First Milky Way training, I'm going to try and pull this off. It's never been done before, not just by me, but by like anyone, especially not in a free training. But I am going to live stream a real Milky Way photo shoot. I am going to be out under the stars photographing the Milky Way, and I am going to live stream it to you in real time. I'm not going to record it, and then you can watch it after. It's going to be happening, and you can ask questions, and you can see me taking the photos and see the photos I'm taking as it's actually happening. It's going to be pretty friggin' epic, if I do say so myself, and probably... A little bit of a logistical nightmare, but that's okay. We are going to do it. It's going to be super, super fun. So you can get the link to uh, sign up if you go to afterdarkphotographypodcast.com. Look at the show notes for today's episode, episode uh, 14, and you will be able to get in. And that brings us to today's episode, which really for me was inspired by the fact that I'm about to get to meet a lot of new people in this training. We always have thousands of people sign up and come on these trainings, which is still, I have to tell you, unbelievable. (laughs) You know, I am recording this from my uh, basement studio in uh, close to the South Shore in Nova Scotia, kind of, you know, not close to a whole lot of anything. And this is where I'll be streaming from. And I get to hang out with thousands of people across the world, which is really, really amazing. And because of that, there's also a lot of things that come up with people who are brand new to night photography. They have never even gone out before. I hear from so many students, they say to me, they're like, Christine, Before I saw your face pop up in my Facebook feed or on my Instagram, I didn't even realize I could do this type of photography. And that's really exciting because we get people getting out there. We get these different perspectives, these different wonderful creative beings out there making these images, sharing them with the world. However, when that happens... And we get a lot of people who are new and who are starting out. And this will also be very relevant for those of us who have been out under the stars uh, for quite some time as well. But one of the big things I notice when I get this influx of new people is there is a lot of fear around night photography. And really, fear and night photography, Milky Way photography, they are intertwined together. Have you ever been out at night before? and heard something in the bushes. And immediately, what does your mind do? It doesn't think, oh, that's a porcupine chomping on an apple in the apple tree back there. No, it's like, what was that? What is in behind me? What is coming to get me? And then you see it's a porcupine chomping on an apple tree and behind you. I'm not saying that this has happened 
uh, to anyone you might know or be listening to at this exact moment in time. Uh, but yeah, it has. There are so many examples that I could give you of times where my brain has gone into overdrive and has overreacted to stimulus at night that during the day would have been no big deal. I find it really interesting. I was reading through an article um, in a scientific paper and they were saying how, you know, it's interesting because modern humans, in a way, have the minds of prey but they have the powers of super predators. And this, for me, is kind of the crux and where I would like to start today in that we have a lot of anxiety, fear, worry around being outside at night. And that comes from evolution. There are a lot of theories, and frankly, I see them as pretty darn good ones, that say we have evolved to a point now where we don't necessarily have to be scared of the dark, but we are because of what's happened with our ancestors. So we have most of what we need to stay safe outside at night, but if we think about uh our ancestors, who we have evolved from, and we think back to prehistoric times or caveman times, when humans were not the super predator that we were today, we did not have all of the technology that allows us to be in this position of safety as we have it now. Prehistorically, we were at a lot more risk. So there were a lot more uh, predators and enemies in the dark. And they, you know, if we weren't going to be scared of them, then they were probably going to eat us. <laughs> that's that's just how it happens. There's tons of different um, archaeological finds and things we could talk about here. There are lots of examples I could come up with, but I'll give you just one. So about 2.8 million years ago, there was a young child um, belonging to the early hominin species, and it was killed by, this is going to maybe not make you not want to go at night, but it's okay, it's not the same. It was killed by an ancient large bird of prey. They found the child's skull and mangled bones, and it's dubbed the Tong child, owing to the proximity of where it was actually found outside of Tong in South Africa. But here's the thing. These early humans had to worry about things like that, like big birds of prey swooping down and taking children and eating them in the air, or uh, massive prehistoric crocodiles, bears, big cats. Do we need to talk about cats here? You know, we don't have to go into all of the prehistoric ways that humans were killed, but it is easy to understand why we have this evolutionary fear of the dark. Because during the day, we were able to see, right? Our visual system lets us see any Thing that's gonna come and try and eat us or hurt us. And at night, as we've talked about this before on the podcast, our visual system is working at a greatly diminished capacity. So there's a lot of this evolutionary built-in fear that's there for a really good reason. 
but it's not necessarily relevant anymore. Because what is the chances of actually going out and being eaten at night? Well, it depends on where you're at. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But it's a lot lower than what it used to be. So I think before we kind of start and get into this journey about how fear affects us out at night and the things we can do about it, it's important to acknowledge the fact that there is something in us that exists for a very good reason to keep us alive. And most of what's going on behind the scenes in our body and our brains, it's about that survival. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, survival's right up there. So it is about survival. It's about keeping us safe. This is why I've said most hobbies don't have this built into them. There are some, I don't know, maybe your hobby is spelunking, in which case, like, good luck. Uh, but most hobbies, especially most genres of photography, this is not something we have to think about. And even farther than that, it's not something we have to overcome every time we want to go and do the hobby. Okay, so we have this evolutionary built-in fear. Maybe we can get by that. Maybe we can start to work through it. But there are other things that come up with fear. And this is a big one, I think, for most of us, is that people become afraid of the dark because the dark has the potential to hide things. Really being afraid of the dark and being having fear, maybe you wouldn't even say, I'm afraid of the dark, but you might have fear around the idea of going out somewhere in the middle of the night all by yourself in the middle of nowhere. It's a fear of the unknown because we can't see what's out there. And we use this visual system of ours, these eyes of ours, we rely heavily on them. But when we're out there at night, we can't see what's going on around us. So it could be anything. And that could be of anything. That's where fear can easily take root and blossom if we let us. But I don't want to go too far in that way because I want to point out that fear is actually useful. Like it's really darn useful because fear in a lot of ways, it's just like pain. It protects us. Fear is there to protect us from possible harm. Having fear actually makes us more vigilant for possible danger. I mean, there's a reason we're still here now with everything that our prehistoric ancestors were up against. I'm just saying, you know, there's a reason that we've made it to this point. And fear is a really big part of that. Think of it this way. If you're walking down a dark alley at night, like that's going to make you feel uncomfortable, right? So we're going to be a little bit more on guard. I might have my keys in my hand, you know, in between my fingers. I might have my purse close to me. I might have my phone ready. There will be a lot of things that I'll be doing that I wouldn't be doing if I was just walking down the hallway in the dark to go check on my kids in my house, right? It's a little bit different. And further that, that 
fear might actually prevent me from going down that dark alley. (laughs) I might say, oh, look, that's a shortcut that'll shave two minutes off of getting back to the hotel, but I'm going to walk down the main strip instead of that dark, shady alley where I can't see anything. The fear is coming in and it's making us feel uncomfortable. And that feeling of being uncomfortable is prompting us to actually do something about it. And that's a good thing. It's the same thing with being out at night in the middle of nowhere. If you have zero fear attached to that, you're probably going to make some decisions that are not good ones. Like for instance, if I am just like completely confident about being out at night, I'm just gonna, you know, say, oh, I'm going to go on this hike in the middle of the mountains I've never been to. I'm just going to drive up and I'm just going to walk out there and everything will be fine. Everything probably is not going to be fine, right? Like you're probably even listening to me like, Christine, that's bad. Don't do that. Obviously not. We know that because we have that fear of the things that could happen and that makes us prepare. And that's something we're going to talk about that more because that's going to be one of the really big ways that we are able to get around this fear. I have some other ways as well, but that's going to be one of the big ways that we get around this fear. And I kind of see it like a loop because the fear can try to prevent us from doing something. But in that, we decide that we still want to do the thing. So therefore, we prepare better to do the thing so that we're less scared of doing the thing. And preparing better to do the thing means that we're going to have a better outcome when we actually do it. Therefore, we can do it again and we can just perpetuate the cycle. So it's actually it's actually a really good thing now, isn't it? It's funny, you know, when we're unprepared, when we don't take that time, that's when things can happen. I So here's an interesting, let's take this back to gardening. I was weeding my garden out front and I'm just, you know, there, I'm like, la-da-da-da, I've got my uh, ear pods in and I'm listening to a song and I'm just weeding my garden out front. My husband was playing with the kids out back, all was fine. As I'm going, I get beamed with a soccer ball in the side of my head, like really hard and knocked out my ear pod. And it's just like, ow, what in the heck? Like I was not prepared for that at all. At all. I didn't even know they were nearby. I had my AirPods in. I thought they were out back playing because out back is where we have like a nice level, lovely backyard. Out front, it's all very hilly, etc. But I have a couple gardens out front. I was not expecting to have any balls nearby. So I was not doing things that would be safe and prepared. For instance, if I was gardening in the backyard, I would not have had my AirPods in because I would know that they're out there and I need to be vigilant and I need to pay attention. But here I was, I thought I was safe in the front. And then what happens? Like a beamed in the head. Um, they, they like to give me a hard time. It was not intentional. The, the soccer ball to the head was not intentional, but it did hurt. And it's just a, you know, a lower stakes example of how when we don't have fear, we don't prepare. And when we don't prepare for things, well, we can have results that are less than ideal, to say the least. So fear in itself actually does protect us. And that's something that is useful to remember, especially when we are 
in the feel fear and feeling uncomfortable because it can be useful to say, okay, but this is actually good for me. So we've talked a little bit about why we have fear, what fear does for us, but I want to go a bit deeper on this. Like what actually is fear? And really fear is something that's triggered by a real or a perceived threat. And if we go back to those evolutionary times, there was a real threat, but now there's not as much of one depending. And this is something, you know, it comes down to research on where you're going. Are you going into grizzly territory? Are you in the north where there are polar bears? Are there natural predators where you're going? Are you on their turf? Are you bringing food with you? Are you somewhere perhaps where there are two-legged predators? People who might say, oh, this is a person all alone at night with some really nice expensive camera gear. I'm going to do something about that. This is where we start talking and thinking about fear in a way that becomes useful to us. So if you're not a local, do your research. Talk to the locals. This is a very practical type of preparation that comes from this fear that we are talking about. You know, there's safety in numbers. Go out with more than one person. Bring a dog with you. Depending on the dog, I'm just going to say, some dogs might be more hindrance than help, but some... Um, uh, will sound big and loud, which is useful. Um, bring bear spray with you. Do shorter hikes. Do things that are closer to civilization. This is what fear can do for us. So that fear that's coming in from that real or perceived threat can help us prepare better, can help us be better at it. But the problem can be when we are going out at night and we're feeling fear irrationally, and this is where that, what is fear? Is it a perceived threat can come in? Because yes, there are real threats out there. I'm not going to tell you that everything is super safe about night photography and there's no chance that you're ever going to get hurt. No, that's not it. If we go back to um, the free training that I have coming up, in one of my free trainings, someone posted a picture of their car in a field instead of on the road because they fell asleep on the way home. Fortunately, the place where they fell asleep and went off the road was a short little drop onto a field. So their car just rolled into the field. But that could have been a lot worse. Imagine if you're driving home on a mountain road. Very different outcome in that circumstance. But then fear at night can be, as I said, irrational. Like there are things hiding everywhere. You know, what was that noise? Are there people there? Is there a coyote just hiding in behind that rock, just waiting for me? What's going to happen when I walk down that path? What's here? What's there? All of these things that our brain conjures up. Our brain wants to fill in the space. So like in, during the day, we can look around and we see everything. And so our brain is like, okay, I get it. I get everything that's here. Now, we might not always be right. We might skim over things during the day that maybe we should pay more attention to, but we have a pretty good feeling in terms of what's going on. We can look around, we can see everything, and our visual system is giving us a lot of input that lets us feel confident about what we're doing and where we are. At night, we don't have that. And because of that, our brain starts to fill things in. 
And depending on who you are and how you think, your brain is going to fill things in in a different way. And this will come back to that preparedness. If you don't know much about the place that you're going to, your brain's going to make up all kinds of wild things. Now, on the other hand, you could also potentially know too much and your brain might also make up all kinds of things. But I want to take it back to something that was said to me once by my mentor in business, about business, that I thought was really relevant. And what he said was, fear is feeling in the present an emotion about something that has not yet happened and may not happen in the future. Now, I want to repeat that for you because it's really important. Fear is feeling in the present an emotion about something that has not yet happened and may not happen in the future. So if you are feeling fear, what you are actually doing is taking an unwanted future, bringing it to the present and experiencing it now. That's what you're doing when you're in fear. So when you are out at night and you're on the trail and you're like, is that a bear that's going to eat me? All of a sudden, you are taking your body and putting it into, OMG, that's a bear, it's going to eat me. And you're going through all of the feelings and emotions around being attacked by a bear when in reality, you are just standing on a path in the middle of a forest. And when we choose to be in the fear, we're choosing to live into that unwanted future. I mean, that in itself, when I got that, it was mind-blowing. You know, if we were typing stuff here, I would be using that little like mind-blowing head exploded emoji. Um, but we're not doing that. We're, we're on a podcast, so it's different. But let's just really sit with that for a moment. Because this is not just night photography. This is everything. Like this can apply to literally everything in life. When you are in that emotion of fear, you are living into an unwanted future and you are taking that future and bringing it into your present. So not only if this is a thing that's actually going to happen, are you going to have to live through it in the future? You're going to live through it right now as well. And when we get into talking about night photography and being out at night, well, the reason I go out at night is not to be fearful. It's to enjoy nature. It's to connect with the stars. It's to connect with something more. And if I'm giving myself over to this fear, which generally is going to be an irrational fear, because at this point, we've already concluded we've done the things to prepare to be safe. So when I'm living into that fear and the irrationality around it, what's happening is I'm actually detracting from my present experience. I am not being in the present. I'm being somewhere out there in the future that's not a place that's probably going to happen and that I want to live in. So if it is not doing something to actively make me be safer in that time, we need to find a way to work through that fear. And that's where I want us to come to. That's what I want to talk about now with you. And I have a few things we're going to talk about here. Some of them might be things that you will have 
already come up with on your own, and some of them might be new and might take a little bit of getting used to the idea. So the first thing, this is something I've talked about before, is when we're hiking in somewhere. For me, I can tell you guys, this is the time when I feel the most fear. I'm hiking in somewhere and I've got my headlamp on to be safe. I tend to be a pretty clumsy person uh, and it's not a good thing to do when you're lugging in thousands of dollars worth of gear. Don't really want to be falling and breaking gear or myself also an important uh, thing to think about. So I'll have a really bright headlamp when I'm hiking in and that headlamp illuminates exactly where I am. It shows everything in my immediate vicinity. It's perfect for not tripping and falling. It also blinds me to everything else. And I can, like right now, I am feeling the same feelings as when I'm hiking in with my gear on. Like I'm getting little prickles all over me because when I'm on that trail and I'm going in, and the light is blaring, I'm very much in this little cocoon of my light. And everything else that is outside of that cocoon of my light is separate from me. And it is separate, it is unknown, it is scary. And I feel this every time when I get somewhere. And if, especially if I'm alone, if I'm with people, there's less of that because I kind of, for myself, I do a lot of visualization and it to me is almost like I visualize my point of light and then the other points of light and having those other people there diminishes some of this, this feeling. But if I'm alone doing a hike at night, I and I love when I get the chance to do certain hikes by myself, um, there's a different level of connection that happens. I also love when I go with people because there's safety and there's connection that happens between those people, which is nice. But when I am alone, I've got that light on. Outside of the light, there could be anything. Could be anything out there. And that's where that fear comes into play. That's where that unknown, all of the things we've talked about today. But when I turn the light off, and this part might be a little bit counterintuitive, especially if you're someone who hasn't done a lot of this before. When I turn that light off, it all gets better. When I turn it off, I can be one with the darkness. Yes, I want us to become one with the darkness. Uh, you guys didn't know, but I'm actually a Sith. And no, no, sorry. Keep it on track, Christine. No, when you turn off that light, all of a sudden, I'm not apart from everything anymore. Now I am a part of it. Now at first, you're not going to see anything. So here's the catch-21 of it all, is that you turn on your headlamp because you can't see anything. But you can't see anything in the dark because you had your headlamp on and it's blinded you to the light. So you need to turn off your headlamp and leave it off for 20 or so minutes at least and let your eyes get night adjusted. If you turn your headlamp back on every time that you can't see stuff, you're just going to be able to just not see anything for the entirety of the night. So when we do finally turn off that headlamp, we let our eyes adjust to the night all of a sudden, it's not like us versus everything else. You realize we're just a, a part of it. 
we are a part of that landscape. We are there with it. And frankly, by this point, when you're hiking in and then you turn off your light, everything that was around that's up at night already heard you and knows that you're there. Like things that are out at night are way more attuned to what in the heck is going on out there because they're nocturnal and they are used to being up at night. And it's just like, oh, there's a person over there. Well, I guess I'm not going to go there tonight. That's fine. I'll leave whatever I left over there, you know? So we can now start to actually just be a part of the landscape instead of being removed from it. And this is something I kind of see this all the time. You know, we go on to backcountry places uh, and maybe lakes and things like that. And there will be cabins and cottages all over the lakes and they have lights blaring everywhere. And people will say it's for safety. The lights are for safety. But I personally think a lot of that is just false safety. We do it because we want these little bulbs of light. We want these little pockets of light to stay in and to stay safe instead of sitting with the fact that it feels uncomfortable to be in the dark, but moving past that uncomfortable and being a part of everything. That, for me, leads to a lot more connectedness and a lot less fear. But anyways, that's neither here nor there because you you are not the person with the cottage and the blaring lights everywhere. Um, You're the person who's annoyed that they have those lights on. So that's one thing to start with. But, and you might have experienced that being out on a trail. I have a couple other things I want us to think about. And the next is actually something, we're, we're going to a different tack here. The next is called the law of polarity. And I'll link to this in the show notes. So on afterdarkphotographypodcast.com, you can go to today's episode and see the show notes. I'll put a link to this there because I'm not going to go in depth into all of this. The law of polarity is one of seven hermetic principles. They are said to be like universal laws um, or universal principles. And you can read through the other six and take the pieces that fit in with your worldview and the things that you've experienced. But this is one that when I heard it, it was in a completely different context. It was in a business context, actually. But immediately, I applied it to being out at night. And basically, the law of polarity is all about balance. It's the yin to the yang. It's the contrast of something. So if there is hot, then there needs to be cold. Um, If there is up, then there needs to be down. It is the idea of opposites, of polarity, that in our universe, in our existence, for everything that there is, there is an opposite to it. And I want us to take this and apply it to fear. So if fear exists, and if we believe in this law of polarity, therefore there is an opposite of fear. So what is the opposite of fear? Now, I think there are a few options for answers here. I'm going to take us through two. And for the first, the opposite of fear could be considered courage. And a litmus test on this is, you know, can you feel courage without feeling fear? I don't know. I don't think so. So I think that courage could be considered the opposite of fear. Courage is a contrast. You are more 
courageous, the more fear that you're feeling, the more scared that you are, the more courageous you have to be to do something. And this, you know, we've heard this before. The only thing to fear is fear itself. Well, I think it's interesting because when we are feeling fear, it's really uncomfortable to feel that fear. And to get through to the other side of it, we have to find courage. So how can we do that? Well, one of the things that we tend to do when we are in something uncomfortable is we try to get out of that uncomfortable thing. So if we are having fear around being in the dark, we can turn on a headlamp and we are no longer in the dark. It is nice and bright. But what if instead of that, we leave the headlamp off and we just sit? We just sit in one spot and we just be. We breathe. We sit in the uncomfortable feeling, in the fear. And if you do that, you're going to move through it. Now, how quickly you do it, that depends. I believe there's a practice to all of this. And the more that we do it, the more quickly we get through to the other side. But there will be practical things that happen here too. You know, if you take that time to actually say, okay, what am I feeling? Well, I'm feeling a little bit freaked out right now, frankly. And you stop, you turn off your light and you just stop and you be you're going to start to listen. You're going to let your other senses pick up on things. There's going to be all of these other practical things that come in and that back this up. So we're able to move through the fear with courage. We're able to move through to the other side to it. So if you look at it this way, we could think of fear as being an access point to courage. And I think that is really interesting. Because if fear becomes an access point to courage, then what kind of actions can we take? We say, okay, this is something that scares me. But I know that since this is something that scares me, it's going to take me to a point where I can make a courageous decision, where I can choose to do something that I might not normally choose to do, because I know I'm going to get through to the other side of it. And this, again, can be applied to so much more than just night photography. Like there's these big fears, like there's something in the dark that's gonna eat me. Yeah, that's a big fear. But then we have all these other like small little fears we're not even paying attention to all day long. Like this is a complete aside, but every single day we're doing this, like small decisions or big decisions, and we fear an outcome. So we're living and feeling that fear in the present and it leads us to make a decision from fear when instead can we tap into that courage? And if we tap into that courage, which is the opposite of fear, what decision will we make instead? And then where will that take us? And how does that change and drive our life? You know, for many of my students, one of the most courageous things that they will do is actually sign up for my masterclass. It's not the going out at night. It's not the hiking in the middle of the night. It's not any of that. And this is not just, you know, the monetary investment to get into the masterclass. It's actually making the commitment to themselves and saying, okay, I'm going to do this. I am going to go out at night. I'm going to live into the possibility that I can do it instead of living in the fear of failure or what if I can't or I don't think I can do this. So fear can give us that access point 
to courage. And it can take us to places in our life that might not have been possible otherwise. So maybe courage is the opposite of fear. But perhaps, this is the other one that I personally came up with, and I would be interested to hear from you. And of course, we always continue this conversation in the podcast group. So I have a podcast Facebook group where we chat about episodes. Um, You can get to that on the show notes page after darkphotographypodcast.com. And there will be a link there to get you into that group if you're interested. And if you have ideas about other opposites of fear, But I think another sort of contrast, another opposite of fear is the feeling of peace. Fear itself often manifests as anxiety or worry for the future, right? We're talking about that. It's living in this emotion in the present for something that we don't want to happen in the future. And that is the opposite of peace, of being at peace. So does feeling the fear and pushing through it allow us to access peace? Is there a contrast that exists because we have that experience of fear and we move through it? For me personally, it's like a heck yes. Because when I am hiking into a place I get these prickles and I gain them again. I can feel it like I'm getting goosebumps as I say this to you. I get those feelings of fear as I'm moving through the brush, walking through the woods, wherever it is with my headlamp on, with the lights blaring. And I have all of these emotions going through me. And now as I do this more and more, I'm able to work through them more quickly. It's a practice, as I said. But then I get out to wherever it is that I'm shooting I turn off my light, I set up my gear, and I start just being one with the landscape. And that contrast to having the anxiety, the worry, everything like just in your head to all of a sudden it's gone. Everything is gone and it's just you and it's the stars and it's the landscape and it is truly a feeling of peace. And I believe that due to the contrast and experiences that are happening in such a short period of time, depending how long the hike in is, some places are longer than others, I believe that the experience of being out under the night sky, connecting with it, and having that peace is heightened by the contrast of what comes before it, of the process to get through to there. So this is something... And I would be really interested to hear your experience with this. I noticed this when I first started taking night photos. And I noticed that I felt more at peace at the end of a hike or when I was shooting on night hikes than I did if I had done something similar during the day. You know, like I will go on a hike during the day and I will just go and sit by the ocean and I will just watch waves for however long I can do. Is it a hike without my kids or with my kids? In which case it's very different. But I will just be in nature and just feel at peace being in nature. But it is different at night. And I believe that difference comes from this contrast. And I think it's heightened. Now, I've said a little bit here that it's a practice to get to that point to push through that fear, to get to the other side of the fear. So I want to give you one more actionable way to actually do this. And it's going to be what's called context switching. Now, 
you're like, hey, hold on a second. Christine, you talked about that before, right? Right? I did. Thank you for paying attention. In episode six, I talked about context switching in terms of switching between tasks and losing time and momentum. This is a little bit different. So I want you to think about this. You're driving down the road and you have an appointment to get to. It is the middle of the day. You know, maybe you're on a lunch break and it's like, I have a dentist appointment. I have to get to it. I only have this much time. And you pull up in behind someone. It's just you can't pass them. There's no two lanes. I don't know where you guys live, but we have a lot here where it's just like one lane either way. Lots of bends. You're not getting past them. And they're driving 20 underneath the speed limit. And you're just like, are you kidding me? I have somewhere to get to. Why are you driving so slow? And there's like, you can get there with me, right? Like, you know, the feeling of being like, can they just get off the road or drive the speed limit? (sighs) But now imagine it's your grandmother in that car in front of you. And you know that she has an appointment to get to but she's not super comfortable with driving anymore. And you pull up in behind her and you're like, oh, it's my grandmother's car. It's the same thing. You still have an appointment to get to, but you are not feeling the same feelings towards that person in the car in front of you now that we know what's going on. It can be, you know, we can do it in a completely different manner. It can be that someone comes up and is riding your butt in the car. going to say another word, but I get flagged here if I use swear words. So someone's coming up and they're right on your tail. They're so close and behind you. And you're just like, come on, that's not safe. What are you doing? And you can get into all of our thoughts around these people behind us and the jerks that they are, etc. But then imagine it's a person who's in the car and behind you has a kid in the backseat who's having an asthma attack and they're trying to get to the hospital. How does that change your feelings immediately? Now, are any of these things actual reality? Well, no, maybe, probably not, but maybe, you know, my, I used to have conversations with my mom about this. Um, my, uh, one of my brothers has really bad asthma. And so she would have to do the drive, the hour long drive with him not being able to breathe in the back seat to get him to the children's hospital. And I just like, as a mom, I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you even do that? So maybe it's a possibility, but is it probable that that's what's going on? No. But that misses the point because the point here is it could be anything. And depending on what we decide in our heads it is depends on how we react to it. This is the context switching. And this is where we bring it back to night photography. Because yes, the particular environment and situation that we're in has a lot of unknowns. Therefore, it could be anything. And we could make it up into absolutely anything. And the context that we decide to attribute to the particular situation that we're in is going to determine the way we feel about it. So I'm going to give you an actual real life example here of me um, out shooting. So earlier this year, I was in California. And then on that trip, because it's pretty far away from Nova Scotia, other coast. 
Um, and also the first time that I had been traveling since the pandemic hit. So I was going to make the most out of it. And I really, really love Tucson. I love Tucson, Arizona. Arizona itself is just a very magical place in a lot of ways. And Tucson is a place I've had the... Um, the luck of being up before, and it's just stunning. So I decided I was going to take two hour, the eight-hour drive from where I was to get back to Tucson and uh, to go out and shoot there. And it was the last night. The next day, I was hopping on a plane to get back to see my family. It was the last night, and it was clear, and I had a flight in the morning. So instead of going up into some places that I had scouted in the mountains, um, some nice places nearby. I just went near where the Airbnb was that I was staying at. There was a little like side parking lot um, that was not too far. It was literally like just a minute up the road. Now I knew it was there, but I didn't really scout it during the day. Like I just kind of drove past it, but I was like, that'll be fine. I'll just set up beside my car and we'll, we'll go to town. It'll be all right. So I go up there and I'm set up by my car shooting away the Milky Way. And all of a sudden, I hear this car coming down this dirt road and it is freaking raring. Like it is just so loud and so fast for being on a dirt road in the middle of the night. And it has those like really bright lights mounted up top. I think it was like a tricked out like Subaru because it, it looked very impressive from far away. And immediately, where did I go? I was like, holy heck, what are they doing? Are they coming here? Do I need to grab my gear and get in my car? Like, what is this? Because my brain immediately went to who are these people and why are they coming up here rip-roaring so fast in the middle of the night? Why do they have these big lights on? And it went into this whole context around this fear. Now, I don't actually know. I didn't have an encounter with these people. They went a different way. Um, but there was some really interesting context switching that happened because not even like 10 minutes later, I hear something else roaring down dirt road and I see this fire truck coming down, lights blaring, comes down, pulls up right in front of me and then drives onto what I thought was like a farm path. <laughs> it was not. I mean, it, I could see it from all of the lights. It was a glorified farm path, but there is this fire truck and it comes down and it starts driving off into the wilderness. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, and here's a fire truck blaring down into the middle of the wilderness. And all of a sudden, that car before with the headlights on driving really quickly at night, well, are they someone who's up to no good or are they someone who's out there trying to help someone else? And that is context switching. Because what were they actually doing? No, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know who those people were. No sweet clue. And there's no way that I will ever know but it could have been either. And it took my brain seeing an actual fire truck coming down, driving straight through my, uh, my frames and going down into the middle of the wilderness. And I could hear it for quite a while. It took that to switch the context in my brain and be like, well, what do I need to be thinking about? Do I need to be fearing this thing that doesn't actually exist? So context switching is a way that we can start to train our brain so that we're not necessarily living into things that are not a reality, that just don't exist whatsoever. Now, I want to end with you on something that I find to be personally really useful. I think some people listening here 
will find this useful as well. And especially if you're listening right now, you, I know this is, it's ironic. You are listening to a podcast, which is all auditory, uh, but you're probably a very visual person because you're a photographer. Uh, So I know I am a very, very visual person. And this is a visualization that has helped me work through some fear. And, you know, I am the first one to tell you, like, I am not amazing at meditating or things like that, but I use a lot of visualization. And I don't necessarily use it in a very hmm, intentional or scripted way. It's more so there are certain things that I do and I just find that they help. So I keep doing them. And this is a visualization that I find really helps with fear. And remember before I said it's a practice. So if you find that you're getting into fear at night, this could be a practice that can help. So I want you to sit in the quiet somewhere. When you're going to do this, you're just going to sit somewhere in quiet. So, you know, for me, not going to do this while my kids are running around like elephants upstairs, right? So sit in the quiet. And I want you to visualize the place that you're going to. Make it as real as possible. Here's the thing. Our brains don't discern between real and imagined. If you can really imagine a place, make it as real as possible and start to feel it, like really feel it in your bones, feel what it's like to be there to the point where you start to get goosebumps or you start to just get the actual sense and feeling that you're being there, your brain is going to think it's real. Like for all intents and purposes, your body and the way it reacts is going to think it's real. Your brain does not make that differentiation between real and imagined when it comes to feeling emotions in our body. So this is really important. We're sitting someplace quiet and we are really visualizing where we are going. Once you have that, you have that feeling of where you are, you have it in your mind's eye, then I want you to visualize that fear as a smoke cloud. So it's a dark and heavy smoke and it's covering everything. And slowly, as you breathe, you're going to move through the smoke cloud. The smoke is the fear and it's all around you and it's suffocating and it's there. But as you breathe, it gets lighter, it disperses and you move through it and you see the stars up above. And when you get there and you move through that, what do you feel? And take the time when you're actually doing this because your body is going to go through and have these feelings and it's going to be like you are actually there and doing it so that when you are actually there and doing it, your body is going to remember doing it before, even though it was you doing it in your living room (laughs) somewhere completely not where it was. But what do you feel when you get through that smoke cloud of fear? When you come through to the other side and you see those stars up above you? Is it peace? Is it awe? Is it wonder? You get to experience that when you're in this visualization and carry that with you. And the more that you do this, you are training your brain to remember that. And you can move so much more quickly from fear to peace. It takes you through to the other side much more quickly. And if you think about it, 
this is a practice just like everything else. You know, I want to learn how to do a pull-up. Well, I'm not going to be doing a pull-up right away. I'm going to have to be hanging off that bar for a while first. I'm going to have to be doing things every day to get me to the point where I can actually do a pull-up. I can't do a pull-up, by the way, you guys, but um, hanging from bars is really good for your body. So I do try when I can. But it's a practice, just like anything else. Anything else you want to learn and get better at, it's going to be a practice. And this is one that if you do this, it's going to help you when you're out there at night. So that's my episode for you today on fear. And I think it's such an interesting emotion to work through and to experience. And as we talked about today, there are reasons why it is useful for us. There are reasons why we want to feel it And there are reasons why we will be the better for it. But we also don't want to get into those irrational pieces of it. So I'll be really interested to hear what you think of today's episode. I would love to know what pieces have resonated with you from today's episode. Um, If you found the exercises helpful, if you already do something similar to what I've talked about today, um, please share this episode with anyone who might be interested in getting out there at night come into the Facebook group and chat about it there. I would love to hear your thoughts. And thank you so much for being here with me, for listening today, and I will catch you on the next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to my podcast episode today. If you are excited about night photography, but you don't know where to start, then listen on. This is for you. Well, hello, it's Christine. I am the host of the After Dark Photography Podcast, and I'm the founder of the Night Photography Academy. And if you don't know me, I have been a professional photographer since 2009 and teaching photography actually since 2008. When I first started teaching photography, it was to students who had excitedly just bought their first ever camera, or maybe who had a digital SLR sitting on a shelf gathering dust and they were finally ready to learn how to use it. Now, almost 15 years later, I find the same kind of people coming to me super jazzed about night photography, but frankly, overwhelmed at where in the heck to even start. For one, they haven't mastered using their camera on manual mode, let alone doing things like equivalent exposures, which is really the bedrock of night photography. And if that sounds like you, I have just the thing. I am giving you 100% free access to the first module of my Photography for Beginners Bootcamp. This was a hybrid online in-person class that I taught here in Nova Scotia before the pandemic happened. People would take the class online and then I would run field trips where we would go out and practice together. And I am giving you access to the first module completely for free. Unfortunately, field trips are not at this time available. Imagine that you know exactly what setting is the most important to use on your camera in any given situation based on you know what you want to create what's that vision in your head and not only that you know how to do all that but you also know how to troubleshoot so maybe if things look too dark or too bright or too blurry or even too sharp 
you will know exactly what to do to fix it and get the image you want. After going through this totally bingeable course, you will master manual mode on your camera and be able to confidently create beautiful images with your digital SLR or mirrorless camera. To sign up, go to christinerosephotography.com slash bootcamp. And that will be in the show notes too, if you just want to do a quick click and hop on over there. Thanks so much. And I can't wait to see you on the next episode.